On behalf of your, your whole church, thank you all for being so wonderful to us for a long time. You've pushed us toward Jesus, and we are grateful for it. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. All right, if you would, turn with me in the Bible to the book of Titus. The book of Titus, it is a small little book tucked away in the New Testament, kind of in the back of it. And I know for many of you all, that sounds so refreshing, like a glass of fresh ice water. We've been in Job for so long. And if you remember, I told you at the beginning of Job that all the commentators warned the pastors to not put your people through too many weeks of Job. It would be torturous to stay in Job for too long. And I know many of you all feel like that was the case. For week after week, we have looked at suffering and sovereignty from the book of Job. And we have found God to be a comfort with whatever we are going through. But we have finished that. And so before we jump right back into another book, which is what we will do, we're going to look for a few weeks at, at church health and also leadership coming out of healthy churches. That's what I want us to study for the next couple of weeks. Church health and also leadership coming out of healthy churches. And hopefully that will be good for you. There's a word that I hear more and more frequently these days, and we know how words are. They, they get popular, and then they pick up steam, and people use them a lot. And it, it'll be the case that you used to never hear the word, and now you hear it so often. The word I'm thinking of this morning is the word toxic. Y'all hear that word a lot now, don't you? you got toxic family and toxic relationships and toxic workplace, right? We hear it all the time. But I remember before it became popular like that, that the only thing you ever heard was toxic was like an, a, an explosive area at the end of the highway that was the very end. And don't cross that. Or some poison chemical supplies that were kept somewhere in a closet, right? Those are the only things that you ever heard that were toxic. But now we throw around this word toxic as if many things are toxic in our lives. Well, that may be true. But maybe it's just things are not as healthy as they should be, and we're recognizing that. But since we aren't good at saying what health looks like, it's easier for us to identify, for us to identify the problems. And toxic's a good hot word these days, so people use it a lot. Our desire here at church is to help you, to feed you, instruct you on what God says church and leadership is to look like. That it would never be toxic in your experience, but that it would be of God, that it would be of the truth, that it would be biblical. Oh, that you would believe the powerful word of God in the midst of such a stressful time to be alive. The Bible instructs us into church health and into leadership. The book of Titus today is gonna to help us with that. And as you can see in your bulletin, I have five observations today from this small book. Now, let me give you some context here on Titus, okay? You'll like this. It's really, really small, hardly even a couple pages in your Bible. Three chapters only 46 verses total. It's simple. It is very simple. Paul wrote this, the Apostle Paul, and he is a missionary. 
He traveled around. He went from one place to the next, preaching the gospel. Sometimes he would stay just a few days. Sometimes he would stay a year. Sometimes he would stay a few years. But he made sure he always left where he was going. He thought that was important. That's what God wanted him to do. And that was part of the strategy. He could not stay forever where he was going. So what was cool about that is anytime he had done good work there, he had to make sure he left it in good hands. And we know how to think about that, right? Any job you've ever had or any table you've ever sat at at a restaurant, right? Surely you know the crucial life lesson that is leave things better than you found it, right? Surely you know that, right? That's the way it should be when you go camping out in the woods. That's the way it should be when you stay in a hotel room. That's the way it should be when you enter a bathroom in public. Leave things better than you found it. I hope you know that. But that's also the case with church. That's also the case with church. And so the apostle Paul would travel around and he would preach and God would save people because when you preach, God saves people. And he would preach and God would save people and he would stay there for a while and he would work and he'd work and he'd work, but then he would leave. And he would ask other people to take over and he would leave. Well, that's what we've got going on here. Paul had two people that we really know about in the New Testament that he had mentored and he employed them or deployed them or sent them out to keep doing the work for God. They are Timothy and Titus. Paul wrote lots of letters in the New Testament, 13 letters in the New Testament, and many of them are written to churches. But Timothy, and there's two of them, First and Second Timothy, and Titus are written to individuals. Paul wrote these short little letters to these younger men who were going to do church work. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. These are letters written to those guys to do church work, all right? And Titus specifically tells us that they are on the island of Crete. That's really cool. You can go to any map. If you find Greece right there in Europe and you find Greece and you look right under Greece, right there in the middle of the sea, you will see the island of Crete. When you leave today, walk straight down there. We've got a big giant map on the wall. You will see Crete right there. It's a real place. You could travel there tomorrow if you wanted to buy a plane ticket. I remember we had a man in our church. He's passed away now, but he told me when he was in the Navy, he spent time on the island of Crete. It's a real place with real people, with real Christians, with churches there. And the churches that he saw when he was in Crete were established by the Apostle Paul, handed off to Titus, and what we're about to see happened next. I want y'all to know it's a real place, and that's the context. But Paul, being a missionary, left. And what this tells us is that he left Titus there. So knowing that setting, how did he think about the, the, the ministry, the message, the, the church, the, the people, the work, the advancement, the, the sustaining it, right? Because, you know, a, a lifetime in church is a long time, and it seems like, man, we've been in this church forever, somebody might think. But the reality is, is that churches should, absolutely should, stick around way longer than just our lifetimes, Right? This church alone has been here since 1916. We're the second oldest church in Fairdale, but we're not even the oldest. Mount Holly Methodist right down the road has been around for about 50 or 60 years longer than us even, which means all of the founding members are not even here. So what they started then should still be happening now, but they're not here to contribute to it. So how do you make sure that 
stays good and healthy. Well, I know there's no shortage of opinions on what makes a good church, right? There is no shortage of thought and opinion on what we need to be doing and what I need to be doing and how I can do it better. We hear those, okay? And we appreciate any and all feedback. But the Bible actually tells us what God wants church to be like. And today, just from this little book of Titus, I want you and I to look at five observations on church health from the book of Titus. Look with me at Titus chapter one, verse one. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. Verse four, to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Verse five, and this is a very key verse. If you'd like to underline or highlight, you've got to know this verse if you want to understand the whole book of Titus. Verse five, this is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. What a verse. If you've never read the Bible before or you've never listened to consistent preaching, you've probably never heard Titus 1.5 before. And so I hope today a light bulb just turned on when you heard the words that you might put what remained into order. My first observation here this morning is that God has order for his churches. Order. There is a way to do church and there are lots of ways to not do church. There is a right way and there are many wrong ways. Now there is a lot of wiggle room, right? We're not robots here. There are lots of different churches and lots of good churches out there. But we must recognize that here in verse five, God uses the word, put it into order. That happens in churches. That happens. You know, sometimes when you're trying to do something well and, and get it going right and get things going in a good direction, right? Some things we have to recognize, like, man, we're all out of order here, man. We're, you, you hear the phrase a lot of times, man, they're all out of sorts there. It, it's a mess. I remember talking to my dad uh, some time ago, and we were talking about ordering some pizza, and he said, man, we ought to get some pizza from here, and I won't, I won't name the chain. He said, we ought to get some pizza from here, and I said, from there? And that, I think they're terrible, man. He said, oh, no. Man, I don't know what they did. They got that thing in order now, man. They, they changed it up, man. They are good now. You need to go there. Some of the best pizza you've ever had. I'm saying, are you serious? Last time I was there, man, it was, it was terrible. He said, yeah, I don't know what they did, man. They must have got some new management or something, but that place is good now. We got it. It was great. See, sometimes something can be really bad. You have a bad experience, and maybe it's the management, the leadership, or whatever, and it just needs to get into order. Over the years, I've had my fair share of coaching Little League Baseball and T-Ball and things like that, and we use the word order a lot in baseball if you've ever played or been around baseball. 
It's called the batting order. You've heard of it, right? And when you're coaching little kids, I'm gonna tell you something. It is really important to have a dugout person, usually a mom that's got patience galore, like patience for days. You get you a mom in the dugout that can just deal with crazy kids and crazy kids, right? Because in T-ball, you have to have a coach at the T. You have to have a first base coach. You have to have a third base coach. That's already three coaches. But you need one more in the dugout. Because in baseball, you got all these batters, and they have to bat in order. As soon as you get out of order in baseball, it's an automatic out. So you got the first hitter, the second hitter, the third hitter, the fourth hitter. But now it's time for the fifth hitter. If the fifth hitter does not come up at that spot, after that person and before the sixth person, it's an automatic out. And so it's really important to get that right. Can't take it out. Well, guess what happens in T-ball all the time? Every inning, somebody's gotta run to the bathroom. Half the time, they tell you when they're going to the bathroom. Half the time, it's like, okay, Noah's up, right? And you, you look around, you're like, well, Noah's not here. And a lot of times in the dugout, they'll just go, send the next kid, right? Can't do that. Half the time, they need a drink. Sometimes you got these crazy parents that will take their kid to the concession stand during the game, imagine, right? But things can get all out of order. And it's really important to understand in baseball, we got to keep the lineup in order. This is the idea, this is the word that Paul is writing to Titus about church. Put what remained into order. If you're a Christian, if God has saved you from your sins, if you are here today thinking, I want to live for God, then you should care about what is good church and what is bad church. You should be thinking about what is healthy or unhealthy. You should be thinking, again, it's a hot word, be careful about what's toxic and not wanting to go anywhere near it when it comes to church. You should want to, church to be orderly or in order. And he uses this word here. So here's what he means. Paul had traveled on a boat and ended up in Crete. And we know his method of operation. He would get out. He would go first to the synagogues. He would listen to what they were reading there because they would read the scriptures. And then he would speak up and start to teach them about how Jesus is the savior of the world. And when he did that, there was often opposition, but God often saved people. And everywhere he traveled, he would preach and people would get saved. He would preach and people would get saved. So what's happened in Crete is that there are a lot of believers. There are a lot of believers there, but there aren't necessarily churches. Maybe they were starting to become churches, which is just groups of believers, right? But maybe there weren't. But Paul said it was time for him to leave. So he leaves Titus there. So now Paul's gone. He didn't think himself, and this will be a later point, but he didn't think himself so key to the work. He left, and he left Titus there, and he says, put what remained into order. You've got believers there. Now make sure they know how to do orderly church. Make sure they understand church. Make sure they understand what it means to believe the Bible and follow it. Don't let it be unhealthy. Make it be healthy. Number one, God has order for his churches. Now, in one little verse of Titus chapter one, verse five, you hear the word order and you think, wow, that sounds great. Let's remind ourselves that that's a lot easier said than done. There are churches everywhere, all over the place, and they are truly high and low and here or there and 
all kinds of healthy and unhealthy, and we know that. That is our experience everywhere we go. Matthew Henry writes to this, listen to this quote. He says, no easy thing is it to raise churches and bring them to perfection. The apostle Paul had himself been laboring here, and yet, were there, th were there still things wanting? Were there materials out of square? Was there much need for hewing and fitting to bring them into right form? And when they were set therein, to hold and keep them so? The best churches are apt to decay and go out of order. Ministers are to help against this, to get what is amiss rectified and what is wanting supplied. This in general was Titus's work in Crete. Be a leader sent by God, understanding the order and putting it into order. You should care about the health of a church. And you, like we've honored the Hammonds today, should, wanting to be, should be desiring, albeit in your own way, a part of that church's health. Number one, God has order for his churches. Number two, God raises up elders and pastors. Now we've talked often about, we use those terms interchangeably. In the New Testament, an elder, a bishop, an overseer, and a pastor are the same thing. Now those words each have different meanings, but they are used synonymously, interchangeably, all right? So an elder can be a pastor, a pastor can be an elder, we mean the same thing. At our church here, we have four pastors, four elders that lead the church. We don't rule the church, we lead the church. But what I want us to observe from the book of Titus today is that God raises those up. Look at verse five again. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order. Look at this next line, still in verse five. And appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now Crete is a pretty big island. I don't know how many towns they had there. There's no way for us to know how many churches he was putting into order but at least a few, a couple, several, okay, at least. And Paul says that the first thing he should do is identify leadership. But I'll never forget the first time that this verse got a hold of me or that God got a hold of me with this verse. It has truly altered and shaped the way I think about church and leadership in such a huge way. Paul didn't see himself as needed or key for the leadership of the churches in Crete. Paul didn't see Titus long-term as needed or key for the leadership in Crete. Because at the end of Titus, it says, he writes in just a few verses, the end of chapter three, he says, hurry up and leave there and come back to me. Titus was not the long-term plan. He was not the long-term vision. Just like the super gifted Apostle Paul was not either. You know what was? The elders, pastors that were already there that did not know that they were pastors. God was going to raise them up. In essence, Titus receives this letter from Paul 
reads it. Here's why I left you in Crete. Put what remains into order. Titus goes, well, how do I do that? Appoint elders. All right. And he goes now. He walks out of his house. He starts walking around the island of Crete. He starts gathering with the other believers. And he starts looking around at who looks like leadership material. Not leadership material because of the resume that they had submitted. Leadership material because of what he saw in their faith. Not leadership material because they were going to the local Bible college down the road. Not because they were seminary students, but because of what he saw in their faith. This will change the way you think about church and church leadership forever. God raised them up. Without Paul being there, God had the future pastors in place. They didn't know that they were pastors or future pastors, but God was going to raise them up. As Titus would gather people together and have a prayer meeting, as Titus would gather people together and do a Bible study, as Titus would walk the streets and do evangelism, as Titus would invest in people, he was to recognize who had the heart for the work of God. Think about that. That is often so different from the way we think about. When we need a pastor in a church, I want y'all to think about all of the different ways and the different directions we go. Sometimes we'll form a committee that'll search the whole world. We'll get on websites, we'll call groups that have never even been to our church, right? We'll call people that never been to our church, don't know anything what we're like. We'll start taking in resumes from all over the world looking for that absolutely perfect person. We'll hope it's a good fit. Sometimes it's a good fit, sometimes not a good fit. That's the way we often think about it. It seems like we don't believe that God makes the pastors. And that we think we have to find something magical. But you know why we think this way? Because the way we think ministry is done has been changed too. Instead of thinking that it's discipleship, Bible, humility, and serving, we think it's giftedness and studs and all-stars. In Titus, we see Paul tell Titus, God's got pastors there. Go find them. Go look for them. Who is God calling out of those? I know that many of you have not thought this way before, but on the island of Crete, God was creating churches. He had saved people and changed lives. And now, he left Titus there to identify the pastors. It even says plural elders. It even says in every town. There were gonna be lots of them there. It's not like, hey man, if there's 50 believers on this island, surely one would be willing to lead a Bible study, come on. It's not that. It's, I've got elders there, Titus. Go appoint them. Go find them. Go build them up. God raised them up. Number one, God has order for his churches. Number two, God raises up elders, pastors. Number three, pastors or elders, listen to this, this is a little bit longer, are Bible teachers 
identified by their character, not their giftedness. Some of y'all are hating this message already, I know, because it's so different from the way you've always thought. Elders are Bible teachers identified by their character, not their giftedness. Here's what I mean. Look at, cha- look at chapter one, verse five. He says, appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And immediately after he says that, immediately after he says that, at verse six, I mean, the very next word, he goes right into, he goes right into what those elders are to be like. Verses six through nine are the qualifications. There's only two places in the whole Bible where you have qualifications. The other is 1 Timothy 3. Here at Titus 1, he goes right into what he should be looking for. Because when you read verse five and he says, put them into order and appoint elders, you think, well, what am I looking for? Well, Paul tells him that too. God tells him that too. Verses six through nine, read that with me. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, And his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. That's the list. Nothing there about his education, nothing at all. Nothing there about his experience, nothing at all. We do have in the, we do, we do have in the Bible that you don't want it to be a new convert, Notice that the elders that Paul tells Titus to find are simply to be men that teach the Bible and you recognize it by their character, their heart for God, their serious faith, their devotion to obedience, not their giftedness. So often, we are looking for a guy who looks the part, Y'all, looking the part is so much a secular mindset. It's what you're looking for in a coach who's gonna be on ESPN all the time. It's not what you're looking for in a pastor. Paul had, God had pastors all over Crete. And Titus needed to find those people who loved the word enough that he wanted to teach it. And they lived it out enough that you took them serious. Think about that. Men who love the word enough that they believe it and want to teach it. And when they teach it, you listen because you know they believe it. Think about that. That changes everything. Pastors are Bible teachers identified by their character, not their giftedness. I realize how great it is when we think, man, that guy can preach. Man, he tells the best stories. He is so funny. His sermons aren't long. I mean, this guy's great at it. And we think, man, if we get him in here, then we'll really be going somewhere. Church, you need to be reminded here today from the example that we see in Crete, church doesn't need superstars. It does not. Matter of fact, let me take that a step further. Churches don't have superstars. We don't. 
We have faithful members as we've honored the Hammonds this morning, but we don't have superstars. We don't need superstars. And let me take it one step farther. We don't even want superstars. If you think you're great at doing church or you've got giftedness all over the place and you're good at this and you're good at this and you'll be a real addition to our church, that is not what churches are looking for. At least I hope so. That sounds toxic to me not healthy. You know why? Because churches already have one superstar and his name is Jesus. He is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is God in the flesh that came here to show us what God was like. And he walked our streets and tabernacled among us and he was tempted in every way we've ever been tempted. He has been through this life, conquered it with his obedience, died for our sinfulness, went into the grave, and rose back again. God raised him up, and he reigns on high. He is the only superstar this church or the churches in Crete need. Let's be about him. And let's make sure that churches know let's be about him. And let's make sure that anybody dare take any responsibility in the all, be it serving in the nursery, teaching a Sunday school class, for God's sake, leading our children or youth or students or whatever, or preaching in this pulpit that they don't ever think they're the superstar, that we've already got a superstar. We need humble, broken servants to lead churches. And God told Paul, they're there in Crete. Now, if you're looking for a guy that walked around that looked the part and crowds were following him and everywhere he preached, people listened. That's something different altogether. I can't tell you how many times I've heard somebody say, well, I used to go to that church, but such and such left and you know, now it's just different. So we don't go anymore. We really went when it was him. I can't tell you how many times, I can, I can name all the former pastors in this church going way back. And I can't tell you how many people there are living in this little town of 40118 that used to go to church here because such and such pastor had it really going well and they really liked it. But ever since he left, they left. And that's not church help. If your faith is too overly connected to an individual, you don't have a real faith. Your superstar must be Jesus. The one you follow must be Jesus. The one you listen to must be Jesus. Can it be sad and unfortunate when your mentor and the one that God used in your life, the one that baptized you leaves? Of course. Y'all, we're not gonna be able to hear Holly Hammonds sing like that again. I'm sad about it. I wish Holly would stay here and keep singing. I told her that, right? And we're gonna be sad about that. But we understand we're not here today to sing because Holly's here. Amen, Holly? We're not here for that. We're here to sing to God, regardless of who's leading. And so it is with church leaders. Paul tells Titus, look at their character. See how they act. See how they are with their money. See what they spend all their money on. See how they are with their children. Do they love them well? See how they are with their speech. See how they are with their wife. Let's, let's find some men whose wives are happy, whose wives are loved, whose wives feel secure, whose men's credit is not being questioned. 
He mentions a couple times here above reproach that everybody's not wondering about him or questioning him or feeling weird around him, right? He says those types of men are there. Identify them and make them your leaders. Number three, elders or Bible teachers identified by their character, not their giftedness. Number four, God's power is in the message, not the messenger. God's power is in the message, not the messenger. Now, this goes exactly with what I just said. These go together, probably could have been the same point, get you out of here quicker with four points. But it is so important for you to understand this. The difference between he's a good preacher and that's a good message is huge. The difference between, man, he's a good speaker and man, that's true, is massive. You've got to know the difference. Of course we have our favorite preachers and things like that, but you can never let your heart be more into who's saying it than what they're saying. Never, never. You must guard your faith to say, feed me this, instead of worrying about who is feeding you this. It doesn't matter who says it as long as they're teaching you this, if your appetite is for this. See, here's the thing. Perhaps our appetite isn't really for this. And that's why we have to stay happy and you have to do it the way I like it and it doesn't feel the same anymore and yada, yada, yada. We're talking about church health and the way Paul expected Titus to understand this. Here's where I get this from. Paul was there and he left. Now Titus is there and Paul tells him, this is why I left you. It sounds to me like he just got there, like he's just leaving there. And it also sounds like he's already ready for him to leave. I'll show you what I'm talking about. Turn to chapter three. Chapter three, verse 12. When I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis for I've decided to spend the winter there. Paul's like, hey, I'm moving on to the next place. We got more work to do here. Come join me, let's keep it going. I'll just send two more guys there. Paul is not hesitant at all about, man, I wonder if, I wonder if this all is gonna fall apart. If I, the, you know, I'm the apostle, there's only really 13 of those in the history of the world. If I pull out, man, things are gonna fall apart in Crete. There's no way we're gonna sustain the work in Crete without Paul, not even on his mind. The next guy, Titus. Well, okay, Titus, it's only the second round. I mean, they're still trying to get used to him. We gotta leave him there for a long time. If, if we take Titus away from what's going on in Crete, man, it'll all fall apart. Wheels will fall off. I mean, it, we just went from an apostle to this no-name guy, Titus, doesn't have really any big title. If, if we pull him out, things are gonna fall apart. That, none of that is on his mindset. The only thing on his mindset is keep teaching this word. Keep teaching this word. And if they keep teaching this word, albeit with the character, now remember, it isn't teach it with bad character, the wheels will fall off. It's the character 
the person with the character that teaches this word. But if they keep teaching this word with the character, then that boat will keep going as long as God takes it. Do you remember when Jesus asked Peter, what is it that you believe in all of that? And, and Peter said to him, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, that's exactly right. And you remember a little bit after that, and Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Please remember here today that Jesus Christ himself said, I will build my church and hell cannot stop it. The power of hell cannot stop what God is doing with his church, albeit the orderly way God says to do it. If we want to do it any other way than the orderly way, then hell will take it over in all the places that we forget to do it the way God says to do it. And it happens all the time. It doesn't mean Jesus isn't building his church. It means that somebody just derailed what God said to do. But there are plenty of examples out there. They may not be massive, but there are plenty of examples out there all over the world on every continent where Jesus is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And part of the reason why is because they believe absolutely that the power is in the message, not the messenger. Well, who's their pastor? Don't know, don't remember his name. Well, who baptized all those people? Don't know, don't remember his name. Was it a good sermon? Not really. Was it true? Absolutely. Stirred me up. The power's in the message, not the messenger. He believed that it's okay for Titus to leave. He believed it was okay for him to leave. He believed it was okay for Titus to leave because you know why? There are other people there that God's raised up that they would begin to do the work. The appointed pastors would then do the work and all of it will be used by God. What we see Paul showing us in the book of Titus about Crete, listen to the way he says the same thing. Here he's showing it to us, but he says it in 1 Corinthians 3. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 3. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human or worldly or secular or not godly? He says, what then is Apollos? Or what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. The church is never to think that it is dependent upon an individual, never. We don't ever need a superstar. We have one in Christ and he will take care of his churches as long as we are faithful to his word. It's so important for us to understand this. Matthew Henry, again, writing, speaks to this. Listen to what he says. A church without a fixed and standing ministry in it is imperfect and wanting. Where a fit number of believers is, elders, pastors must be set. Their continuance in churches is as necessary as their first appointment for perfecting the saints and edifying the body of Christ till all come to a perfect man in Christ, till the whole number of God's chosen be called and united to Christ in one body and brought to their full stature and strength and that measure of grace that is proper and designed for them. This is work that must and will be doing to the world's end, to which, therefore, 
the necessary and appointed means for it must last. What praise is due to God for such an institution? What thankfulness from those that enjoy the benefits of it? What pity and prayer for such as want it? We ought pray that the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Faith comes by hearing and is preserved, maintained, and made fruitful through it also. Ignorance and corruption, decays of good and increase of all evil, come by want of a teaching and quickening ministry. On such accounts, therefore, was Titus left in Crete to set in order the things that were wanting and to ordain elders in every city. Did you hear that? Believers in a church that are understanding the help that I'm talking about today are so thrilled. They're so thankful. They enjoy the benefits of a healthy church. But on the other hand, he says, what a pity and prayer for those that don't. And they suffer in church. Suffering in church should be an oxymoron. The health of the church makes the difference. Whether we will admit it or not, we often think thoughts like this. If we could get he or she here, I wish such and such would go talk to them because we think there is power in that person doing the talking. We hear it all the time. When in reality, we should be thinking we need to speak the word of God here. Or God, please cause them to hear and believe your word. Now certainly the character of the one speaking can seem to nullify or discredit or water down what is said, and we know that. But anybody that believes the word can speak the word and can be used by God. And in the position of preacher, teacher, pastor, elder, the power is not in that individual. May we know better. If, like we heard in Job, a whirlwind was to come up at our next staff meeting, and in one sad afternoon, take out myself and Matt and Jake and Womble, it would be unfortunate. I hope y'all would be sad. But you ought to be believing Jesus still has control of his church. You ought to be believing that God would raise up right here in the midst and hear it out of my mouth right now. Please don't call the seminary looking for somebody. I love the seminary and I went there. But look around and see who God has. God raises up pastors. And we're not putting all the pressure on them to be a home run hitter because the power's in the message, not the messenger. Number five, lastly, teaching and training is the strategy. Teaching and training is the strategy. Now, this is a loaded, and we need to preach lots of sermons on the strategy. But I want you to see, even here in this book of Titus, 
that teaching the truth is what God says to do. And you're gonna see here in closing how important this is, that we do that and that you allow us to do that in your life. This is critical. Teaching and training is the strategy. Start at chapter one and just follow along with me, all right? I want you to see this emphasis. Chapter one, verse one, he says, their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. You have to be growing in your knowledge of the truth. You cannot know the same amount of Bible in 2022 as you did in 2021. That's just the honest truth, all right? If you're no further along in what the Bible says, then we've got problems, all right? Verse three. And at the proper time, manifested in his word through the preaching. Now, God is doing things through the preaching. Jump over to verse nine. These elders must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound or healthy doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Turn, turn over to chapter two, verse one. Chapter two, verse one. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Verse three, talking to older women, they are to teach. Verse seven, and in your teaching show integrity. Verse 15 of chapter two, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Chapter three, verse eight, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things. Do you understand here the emphasis on teaching? Paul left Titus in Crete to put the church into order. And in this small little book there, multiple, multiple times, he says, teach them, teach them, teach them, teach them. Not with a lifestyle that nobody takes serious. Not with these messages that are so boring that nobody wants to show up or listen. But with life on life for somebody who is trying to give you what you need to live your life for God. To not be a toxic church, but to be a healthy church. Certainly, it is teaching. But it's not just teaching, it is teaching and training. In other words, discipleship. Helping people grow in their knowledge and following of Jesus. And we see this also in Titus, one final word. Not only is there an emphasis in this book of Titus of what Paul is telling Titus to do on the island of Crete to the churches that need to be put into order, but there's an also an emphasis on doing good. Turn back with me to chapter one, verse eight. They are to be a lover of good. Look with me at chapter two, verse seven. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Look at chapter two, verse 14. To purify for himself a people for his own possession. Look at this, who are zealous for good works. Look at chapter three, verse one. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Look at chapter three, verse eight. So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Look at chapter three, verse 14. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. In this short, short letter, Paul has dropped a hammer on the importance of sound doctrine. Teach, 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 teach. They have to know what God's word says. They have to know what God's word says. And at the same time that he is hammering teach them, he is emphasizing that they should be doing good. 
they should be obeying. They should be making a difference in the world. They should be contributing to the world. They should be doing good works. The two go hand in hand. And a healthy church, a healthy church, is when we understand that we are involved and we are a part of it so that God's people will teach us to go and live for him. Five observations on church health from the book of Titus. Now let's be honest. The men that we follow, the sermons that we like, and all sorts of other things, the kids' ministries and the style of music and everything else, really gets at our fleshly desires, what we prefer, how it's always been. I don't like change. But let me remind you how you got in this spot to begin with. You came under conviction that your sins are a problem, that your sins have separated you from God. And God, through the conviction, led you to repent and turn to Jesus. And you came to believe, as we saw Levi profess this morning in the baptismal waters, that Jesus is now Lord of my life. I believe him to be the most important thing in my life. He is Lord and King in my heart and in my life. Many of you all, nearly every one of you all, we have seen profess that. We've heard you say Jesus is Lord. We've seen you go through our church members class and say, yep, that's what I wanna be. I wanna be a part of it. You've been up here with me and you've heard me pray in your ear, God help us to be a good church to them and God help them to be a good church to us. You've been through those steps. And may the book of Titus today remind us that because of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who died on the cross for our sins, we want to be a part of this being a healthy church. And as this is a healthy church, may God be worshiped. May the community around us have a witness to what is right and what is good because they see it in us. And in the midst of all of that, as time goes on, may we be blessed to see God raise up more and more leaders. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for Titus and Paul's emphasis on church health and really just how different he thinks about it. God, I pray that we would think biblically. God, I pray that we would change the way we think of the way we were raised or how it used to be or, or something like that. But because of the Bible and what we're seeing, we would think rightly about Christ as our savior and the way church is supposed to be. Oh God, guard us from ever being toxic. Guard us from ever being man-centered or individual-centered. Thank you for Jesus being the hero and the superstar. Father, we pray that step by step, slowly but surely, you would work in us faithfulness to Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.